The coronavirus pandemic isn't just affecting global supply chains now. It could result in permanent changes to the relationship between buyers and suppliers. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The situation changes from day to day. The conversation that you're about to hear would have been significantly different just one week ago. Each day, the coronavirus outbreak is revealed to be having an increasingly dire impact on the global economy. Today, though, we'll get a snapshot of the situation from Sarah Rathke and Carol Denniston, both partners in the law firm of Squire Patton Boggs. They're going to discuss how manufacturing and distribution operations in China and all over the world are responding to the crisis. We'll focus especially on financial matters, in particular the question of companies' access to the cash and credit needed to recover from what is sure to be a serious economic downturn. And we'll venture to speculate about the nature of a new normal in supply chain management once the crisis is over, which could take longer than you think. So here is my conversation with Sarah Rathke and Carol Denniston. Sarah Rathke, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bob. Thanks. Thanks for asking me back. And Carol Denniston, welcome for the first time. Thank you. Things are changing so fast. I, I just want to start out by saying the latest news, and I guess I'll direct this to Sarah, and, and Carol can chime in if she wants, but the latest news seems to suggest that at least in China, things are slowly getting back to normal, that the pandemic is abating and that manufacturing and the like is starting to get back up. Is that overly optimistic or is there any truth to that observation? Bob, I think that's right as far as China goes, whether that is an object lesson for our experience in the States. We have yet to see that. We're obviously at the very beginning steps of this, so it's hard to know. But I think we all are coming to terms with the fact that this coronavirus epidemic is going to be a major disruption in nearly every supply chain, whether it's from the Asia side, from the Europe side, they've now shut down manufacturing, essentially, or in terms of getting goods out from the United States and seeing how deep into lockdown we end up going. Certainly, it has a ripple effect globally. So just because things are ramping back up in China doesn't mean that the product's going to be able to get to market, right? Well, it's got to get on a boat. It's got to get off a boat. It's got to get through a port. It's got to get on trucks. It's got to get to a working factory. And all of these things may or may not happen depending on the prevailing circumstances at the time. Like you say, everything is changing so fast, it's hard to know what exactly is going to happen. But at this point, I'd actually like to bring in my partner, Carol Benison, who offers a note of, if not optimism, I would say agency in terms of if you run a business, if you're making decisions for your business and trying to navigate through these difficult times, I'm sure it can be tempting now, especially since so many of us are operating from home, operating away from our offices, to just put our heads in the sand and, and not know what to do. But there are things that you can do now 
to, if not coronavirus, proof your supply chain, at least coronavirus ensure your supply chain. And what I'm getting at, and what I think Carol will talk about, is that everybody's going to need or encounter some need for some kind of financial restructuring along the way. And that is going to be what the supply chain is doing as a result of this for the next several years to come, is my guess. So maybe, Bob, if it's all right, uh, Carol mm-hmm. could say a few words about that. Well, oh, sure. Absolutely. I'd love to hear from you, Carol. But let, let's first of all start talking about what can be done now or what should be done now, and then we can talk about more further forward. But uh, what are some of the things that, that need to be done now in order to respond to this crisis, Carol? I think the the first thing is to recognize, like every many things in life, the crisis is not going to go on forever. And I think your your opening question about China is a very good one. We will go through the peak and begin to open businesses and restore the economy. And I think China is an example to draw on because it at least can give us the beginnings of what that might look like. But here's the challenge that I think that supply chains face everywhere, and that is sort of acknowledging and dealing with it in a realistic fashion as to how much the business has been disrupted and what does that mean for your piece of the market. In other words, if your business is disrupted, how much cash flow did you project you would have that you don't have? How much cash flow are you going to need to create, find, borrow to restart the business when we return to a more normalized economy and begin to make plans based on what those projections look like. Many times businesses are very good at operating and planning for their cash requirements based on past practice, and a lot of times projections are done based on what last year looked like, what this year might look like, and the situation we're operating in now requires that those projections be revisited in the first instance and also requires a willingness to take a look at them as things unfold because out of all the things that go on in a business, when you have a disruption in the order of magnitude that we have right now, cash is the thing you need to track, and then cash over what periods of time needs to be tracked so that you can figure out how to put your part of the supply chain back together once business resumes. Well, you know, uh, Carol, we'd heard for a long time, ever since the Great Recession, that companies were sitting on a lot of cash, and everybody was questioning that decision, saying, is that a good use of your resources? And now I wonder, are they still? do they still have those big cash reserves? And do they maybe come in handy at this point toward recovery and, and stability? It's a really good question, and I think it's going it, to. The answer to it depends a lot on the industry and the size of company in terms of how much cash they have. Because depending on where you look, just pulling a vertical slice out of any industry, you're going to have those that have set aside some cash, but you're going to have more companies that are using their cash in some form or fashion and aren't sitting on huge cash reserves. And the other sort of piece of this is that we are seeing those companies that have access to lines of credit draw down those lines of credit very quickly right now while they're still able to. But I don't think that there is as much cash surplus, if you will, in the market as people would like to believe. I think what we've got is because interest rates have been so low that a lot of companies have levered up and cash flow is going to be a huge problem in terms of servicing debt because they a business disruption interrupts their ability to make those debt payments. Even if you got it right and you, you maintained the right amount of cash to keep your balance sheet healthy as we get through this, 
you may have critical suppliers, critical customers who are not able to do the same. So in some way, each one of us is going to be invested in this problem. What about the idea of financial restructuring with suppliers? We've seen in in recent months and years that buyers have gotten a lot tougher with suppliers in terms of stretching out payment terms and contractual terms and just making it little life a little bit more difficult for the suppliers. Now I wonder if they're going to turn around and try to make concessions to keep those suppliers whole in the wake of this terrible global economy we are about to see? And what other kind of financial restructuring might we see? So I think some. I I do think that people will realize that their partners really need to be their partners, and concessions are going to have to be made. That will be part of it. And I think that as we deal with how busy courts are going to be, how willing they're going to be able to adjudicate these issues swiftly, compromise may become the order of the day. Um, On the other hand, open litigation, hand-to-hand combat may also become the order of the day. I think it depends on what what you have an appetite for. But a lot of problems can be solved, and I think this is where Carol's making her point. A lot of problems can be solved with access to money. And although that's not something we've traditionally regarded as being within the supply chain, that was then. This is now. And I think now access to cash and restructuring your sources of cash the availability of your cash is going to be important to keeping your supply chain up and running. Right now, we have the drastic collision of these two worlds, supply chain and availability of capital, and the body of legal practice anyway, since that's what we do, that deals with that is the restructuring practice. Maybe Carol wants to say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think that time is working against us right now because we've, in in terms of We've never really had to deal with a total economic shutdown like we're looking at in the U.S. and other very large parts of the world. And so you can begin to look at the risk your business faces and the supply chain, because Sarah's right. There are people within the supply chain that are going to be under financial stress and unable to perform for any number of reasons. And so there's a, a... time factor here in terms of how long is it going to take to restore it. There's a cash component in terms of how do I preserve my business during that time period while it's disrupted and then the time necessary to work back into a more normalized operation. There's also the planning that goes into figuring out how to do both of those things to predict how much time, how much cash is needed to preserve your business, mitigate your losses, and manage the other risk, what I call the third-party risk, which is the other people that are part of your supply chain and process. But I think, Bob, you make a really valid point, and and I have been saying this to many, many clients. I do think the rules of restructuring are going to get rewritten because people are going to have to act, as Sarah said, more like partners as opposed to people sitting on the opposite ends of the table because we're not going to be in a position where we can default to the courts and to the Mm -hmm. same remedies that we're used to exercising kind of sort of on a remote control mode. We're going to have to be thinking about, well, if I do that and I take those positions and I say I have these rights in my documents, what is enforcing those rights really going to mean in terms of cost and time? Because the amount of value that could be preserved is going to end up being destroyed if you take a very legalistic approach. So I think that the people that are really thinking about how do I survive this challenge or thinking about how do I make deals, how do I work with my counterparties to find a way through this as opposed to defaulting to, okay, well, I have a piece of paper that says I get X, and 
if you can't give me X, I'm going to go do Y. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense in the environment we're operating in. So you're suggesting that companies might actually have to start acting like partners instead of talking about it, which is what they've done for the last few years, at least claiming to be the case. What about force majeure? Is that being invoked on a widespread basis? Is that a tool that is important to be used and is being used? Yeah, so we're seeing it on a lot in what I'm just going to characterize as short-term relationships first. Everybody wants to cancel their conference, so everybody is looking at their force majeure clause for that. So far, I haven't seen it so much in manufacturing, but I'm sure it's coming. But that's just saying, boom, force majeure clause, that's it, that's stand on my rights, may or may not solve the problem. And I think I really agree with what Carol has said, that we may need to get together more like partners and try to solve these short-term issues with our suppliers. We've had a good run. It has been an unprecedented good run in global business. It has been, if you think about it, remarkably seamless. But that was then. This is now. And I think to the extent that there's a silver lining, I think it's what Carol is saying, that you don't have to just watch Netflix today. You can start thinking now about how to manage your access to capital and your relationships with your most important business partners so that although a tremendous amount is not known today about when this is going to free up, you can start contingency planning. And that should be the business goal that everybody makes the first priority right now. You talk about access to cash as being crucial. What about access to credit? Are we in danger of seeing, as we did post-recession, a credit crisis, notwithstanding the Fed's bringing interest rates down to near zero? Will there be credit available for companies? And I think embedded in when I talk about access to cash, I'm really talking about access to liquidity and how much are you able to borrow based on your business's performance, your relationship with your lenders and sources of capital, which this round are going to include not only just the conventional sources, but others that are willing to make the investments. And I think that the part of this that has yet to be written and which I've been talking to clients about is sort of the X factor in terms of what assistance uh, slash relief financing is going to be made available through the any number of programs that the federal and some states, many states programs are looking at. There is going to have to be something to uh, basically help reignite the economy. I do think, though, that, and this is why I think we've seen a rush toward people that have credit lines drawing down the full amount of the credit line is I think that there is getting a call while the traditional lenders try to figure out how to underwrite things. I mean, it's a pretty challenging situation because there's no precedent for it. But on the same token, I think the lenders are going to have to take a view that if I don't finance this business in some form or fashion or provide relief in connection with their existing financing, I'm not going to have any business left to lend to and I'm probably not going to be able to collect my money on the back end. So there's the same sort of common sense business approach says, hey, we have to find a way through it as opposed to stop market to market and fight about what's left. So I think we're dealing with sort of two heads of the same beast, if you will, the need for access to liquidity and a tightening of the market while the people on the credit side try to figure out how to address advancing additional capital. And I also think that's where the federal government's going to come in because there's any number of proposals being discussed in terms of how to reignite the economy and make sure that that, that 
process is financed. I don't know what form that'll take. There's certainly a lot of money being talked about. Now, the U.S.-China trade war, remember the U.S.-China trade war? Those were the days. Uh, has uh, <laughs> taken a back seat as a result, partly as a result of this crisis and partly in the wake of the so-called phase one agreement between the U.S. and China. Do you expect that when things settle down a little bit that that problem will come roaring back, or is that something we just shouldn't be putting our minds to right now? What do you think? I am not a political expert, but my guess is oh, there's a greater than 50% chance that we'll be dealing with a new administration. Which leads to my impossible question of just how long it's going to take to put the pieces back together of global supply chain. I mean, it's anybody's guess, but does anyone have any idea? Are we looking at some real long-term type of repair operation, or can this come together relatively fast? Oh, Bob, if we knew that, I think you'll begin to see normalcy not before 18 months from now. In terms of looking at this from our restructuring experience of going back to 1989, we had the crash, the restructuring process on tech in the end of the 2000s, and then you get to the 2008 market crash, and all we can't forget, 9-11, that was kind of mashed in the middle of that. We typically see those things that are most needed by society, those critical supplies return to a new normal quickly because those are priorities mm-hmm. and things that have to happen and governments are good at figuring out how to, to help supply chains, for lack of a better word, heal quickly. But a normal restructuring cycle, when you have an event, the level of this disruption is going to take years to work through. And it's not just the supply chain, it's everything else as well in terms of credit markets and business operations and getting employees back to work. You're looking at a restructuring cycle that at best guess is 60 months and probably 72 months, given what we know from the other disruptions, which haven't been anywhere near the magnitude of this one. So... When we do get back to this so-called new normal, obviously things won't be the same as they were before this happened. What type of permanent changes do you think we might see in terms of contracting and sourcing decisions and supplier relationships? Is there anything you think that might just reset in a completely different way as a result of this crisis? Well, life is cyclical. So I think for a while you may see people trying to diversify their supply chain more. I wouldn't be surprised, but kind of after 2008 with the financial crisis, we thought we would and did see all kinds of wholesale changes in that industry, and they've gradually kind of evolved away as we've proceeded, as we always have done. So I guess I'm going to break out my German history philosophy here and revert to Hegel, who says, like, history actually never repeats itself because the circumstances are never exactly the same, which is a very long way of saying who knows? Carol, do you have a final word on this as well? Yeah, I, I think we know from other cycles that every time we go through a, a major restructuring cycle, things change. People's approach to how they do business adjusts in connection with the experience that they've had during the cycle itself and in an effort to try to prevent some things and take advantage of others. I think the thing that our economy is going to have to deal with is that as people have gotten used to working from home, they will access, are accessing fewer services. They're driving their cars a lot less. They're walking. Public transportation is pretty much empty these days. And as people fend for themselves, the way they live is going to change. And I'm not sure it's going back to the old normal. I think the new normal is going to be different in terms of consumer spending and clearly different initially because consumers aren't going to have a a tremendous amount of 
money to spend. But I think our society is going to change as a result of the shutdown because it's long enough to generate new habits, new patterns of behavior. And I think we're all going to have to figure out what the implications of that will be depending on where we sit, whether it's supply chain, whether it's bank lending, whether it's airlines, hotels, and the like. I think that the thing that that has been the most noticeable and why I am convinced that there are new rules of engagement have been the number of large businesses acted very quickly to address the changes, the number of hotels that have had user-friendly cancellation policies, the number of circumstances where large conferences have been canceled and people have made agreements or accommodations to avoid what traditionally would have been the financial implication of canceling out of a big conference. Recognizing all those people at some hmm. point, we hope we bring them back to the table again. I think behaviors are going to change, and that's going to drive what happens with the economy on our return to a new normal. And I think that because... In the U.S., we have a long history of being very creative and responding to challenges in a way that allows people to get back to making money as soon as possible. What those changes are going to be, I don't know, but I am highly confident that we have a skill set across this country to deal with it and to emerge in a pretty good place once we're done. I'm not saying it's easy. But I do believe there are answers, and I think if we look at specific sectors, we're seeing some of those answers play out now. Well, I want to tell you both how much I appreciate having you on the show to allow us all to kind of catch our breath and and get a perspective on just what's going on and, and, and where this crisis might go and what permanent changes it might cause in supply chains around the world. So, Sarah Rathke, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Bob. Carol Denniston, thank you very much. Oh, thanks again for including me. That was my conversation with Sarah Rathke and Carol Denniston of the law firm of Squire Patton Boggs, talking about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on global supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>